Hello and welcome to Unbreak Your Health, the podcast program about the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, and today our topic is Ayurveda, and our guest is Dr. Bhaswati Bhattacharya, trained as a scientist, international public health specialist, and primary care clinician before becoming a holistic healer. I could spend almost the entire show just giving you the highlights of her career, but I'll just say she got her master's degree in pharmacology and neuroscience from Columbia University with six years of graduate work in biotechnology, biomedical sciences, and laboratory work towards a Ph.D., She has a master's degree in international public health from Harvard University. Her medical doctorate is from Rush Medical College in Chicago. Her residency training in family practice was at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. And her training in community and preventative medicine was at Mount Sinai. She's the recipient of the 1998 American Holistic Medical Association National Award, along with many others, and has been working in complementary medical education for over 20 years now. Today, she practices and teaches holistic medicine in New York City. Ayurveda is actually a Sanskrit term, isn't it? Yes, it actually is. It comes from two words, actually. The first half of it is ayu, which means in Sanskrit life or longevity. And the last part, Veda, has to do with the book of knowledge or the science and study of. So together, Ayurveda is a Sanskrit term that means the art or science of life or living. How old is Ayurveda? No, Ayurveda, we weren't there. Alan, you and I, but we think it's about 5,000 years old according to archaeological records. And it seems to have originated in the Indus Valley, which is in South Asia generally. And it is the oldest continuously practiced system of medicine on the planet. So it's been practiced in that part of the world and has spread slowly and steadily throughout the ages and has been adapting various remedies and medicines as they have grown in in those areas or in the local areas where people have been using the medicines. What is Ayurveda? Ayurveda is a complete system of medicine. Now, different people have different definitions for it because it is so vast. But when we talk about the science of life or the art of life and longevity, I mean, what do we think of? We think of prevention. We think of staying well. We think of making ourselves well when we're not well, which is also called intervention. And we think about all the things in between that are, you know, being on the verge of being unwell or all the different diseases that you can think of that would make you feel imbalanced. So it's a comprehensive, very wide system which has several tenets that I'd like to convey to people. One is that it is a very ecologically sustainable medicine. It needs, as my guru would say, as long as there is sun and soil and seed, there will always be Ayurveda. So you don't need to pour a lot of drug monies and media money and biopharma technology into this medicine. What you need is people who are interested and natural plants and nature, biology, you know, happening around us as the source of the medicines. So it's ecologically sustainable, number one. Number two, it talks about people being in tune with the seasons. So there's a big emphasis on people finding their own cycles. There's a daily cycle, which is called our circadian rhythm. There's a monthly cycle, which we call our lunar rhythm, which corresponds to the menstrual cycle. And there's a solar rhythm, which corresponds to our understanding of the seasons and the way that we change our clothes and our food according to seasons. And so living with the attunement of nature, the way that the animals and plants and, you know, general what we think of as nature, if we live in more attunement with that, then we will 
find ourselves coming back into the flow of those cycles and of health. And the third area that is very important for Ayurveda is that it's a complete medical system. So as I mentioned before, it's not just prevention, which is what Americans think of, like spa-type treatments, but it's also interventive, and it can take people from very grave diseases back toward health. So I like to emphasize these three as I teach about Ayurveda and its various diagnostic techniques as well as treatment techniques. Being such a wide system, are there different branches of Ayurveda? There are, and there are different ways of classifying them. There were a couple of sages that wrote textbooks that were handed down orally, but then later written down in, in paper called Samhitas. And the one guy who was more medically oriented was called Charak. So his book is called Charak Samhita. And the guy that was a surgeon, his name was Shushrut. And so that book is called Shushrut Samhita. So they tend to classify things slightly differently, being medical doctors or surgeon doctors. But in internal medicine, they talk about eight different branches of Ayurveda and different different specialties that actually more or less correspond with many of the specialties of our modern medical system. Surgery, the same thing. There are different branches of surgery. And in addition to those, there are actually other ways of classifying Ayurveda into branches. So there's the preventive branch versus the interventional branch. There's the branch that deals with foods and nutrition, as we would call it, or dietetics. And there's a branch that deals with spices that are added to foods, and there's a branch that deals with drugs and what we would think of more as, you know, small amounts of a substance that is used very therapeutically and titrated by dosage. So there are different ways of looking at branches. There are also other other therapies, such as the massages that people think of, the use of oils, not so much through the mouth by eating them, but rather putting them on the skin. There's meditation and yoga of various forms, which are all part of Ayurveda, and actually, yoga is a subset of Ayurveda, even though I think the West doesn't really realize that. So there are different branches. It just depends which way you want to look at the tree. Dr. Bashwati, since Ayurveda uses, as you said, mind, body, and spirit, it's actually the original holistic approach to health, isn't it? It actually is. So someone said to me once, oh, is Ayurveda America's form of holistic medicine. I said, no, America's holistic medicine is actually the adaptation of Ayurveda in the Western world. And a traditional Chinese medicine calls the vital life energy qi, but in Ayurveda, it's called prana, isn't it? That's right. That's exactly right. And if I'm correct, the energy centers in Ayurveda in the body are called chakras, aren't they? Yes, and chakras, which is pronounced with a ch and not an sh, some people say that there's 108. Some people say that there are many, many more. There are hundreds and hundreds of them. But there are seven major chakras, and those chakras seem to correspond to these energy systems in the body that seem to have some kind of neurologic correlation and maybe even a correlation with the traditional Chinese meridians. But we see them as centers for particular kinds of energy flow to the organs that are around them and particular themes. And to be honest, there are some Ayurvedic doctors that do work with chakras, but in the West we see more people in the yoga world working with the chakras. Doctor, how do you diagnose a person using Ayurveda? Well, you know, I first learned to do it using something called doshas, which is, well, there's a long explanation for it, but basically it's a way of looking at the flows of the body according to the five elements. And the five elements are ether, air, fire, water, and earth. And they combine in different ways to create three themes. 
So most people will use that. And the three themes, as many of our audience knows, are called Vata, Pitta, and Kapha, which some people pronounce Vata, Pitta, Kapha, but it's Vata, Pitta, Kapha. <laughs> I do look at those, but I also look at two or three other areas, which I think Ayurvedic doctors do look at, though sometimes they don't teach these to first-level students. One is looking at the bio-intentional energy, and by that I mean a person's sense of harmony in their everyday life. So there's three terms called sattva, rajas, and tamas. Sattva tends to be more harmonious. Rajas tends to be more ego-driven and, and kind of action-driven, which is great and can be harmonious, can be also disharmonious, but is mainly active. And tamas, which tends to be kind of inertial. You know, it's not bad, but it's, it tends to be inertial, inertia-provoking or inertia-causing. So I look at those in a person. So a person that tends to be very chaotic and just doesn't want to create harmony around them, and I think we all know one or two people like that, those people are generally tamasic. People who big egos tend to be rajasic, and when we give them treatments, we have to be aware that they're coming from that place. And then we have people who are very sattvic, very willing to bring themselves into harmony, but sometimes they're so sattvic that they don't have a proper sense of ego and they don't know how to take care of themselves. So I watch for that. And then the first and foremost thing I look for is a person's level of fire, which is called Agni, A-G-N-I. That's the Sanskrit term for it. And people actually have several different types of Agni in their body. There are actually 13 types of Agni. But the fire in the body is what tells me whether or not giving someone a particular medicine is going to burn through their system, be metabolized and used, versus if they have too much toxin and residue buildup, which is called Ama, AMA, no pun intended, <laughs> that AMA, if it's built up, then the fire, if it's not high enough, is not going to burn through the residue. So I could give you a medicine, and if you're very low Agni and very high AMA, that medicine is just not going to go into your system, which is why some people take medicines and they don't seem to work. On the other hand, I could give you the same medicine at a different time of your life or a different season, and you may have very high Agni and very low AMA, and then that medicine's going to work right away. So if we don't assess that first and foremost and then look at your biointentional kind of harmonious state and then look at your doshas, we can't figure it out. So obviously this makes the diagnosis a little bit more complex and it's not something that someone can just sit down and learn in an hour. And it's generally learned in layers and layers over the course of years. And Ayurvedic physician is trained over five and a half years and learns this. And among that knowledge of these concepts is also a full course in anatomy, physiology, immunology, microbiology, and many of the Western concepts of medicine, but also the Sanskrit texts and how to read the way that it was envisioned thousands of years ago when people did not have a microscope and a CT scan to examine the body. So the way in which we diagnose includes all those elements that I said. Listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast, then you'll love my new book. The second edition of How to Unbreak Your Health is your map to the world of complementary and alternative therapies. It features a new user-friendly format and 339 new and updated listings in 150 different categories. And you can get it on Amazon.com or at your local bookstore. Diet and food combining is an important part of Ayurveda, and it really differs depending on each person's characteristics and even the season of the year, as you said. 
and this is another thing that makes diagnosis not so simple. I mean, it's, it's actually quite straightforward for those of us who do it regularly, but people will come to me and say, oh, well, it's summer, so I want to eat watermelon. That's really good for me, right? Well, actually, watermelon will increase vata. So if a person's already anxious and is moving around too much and their head is in a spin, they've got way too much work to do, way too much on their mind, their kids are home from school, you know, they are not spending enough time resting, and it's hot, so they're feeling disturbed by the heat. And then they try to take watermelon. It will actually increase that sense of anxiety, and people don't understand that. And that can be actually very, very detrimental for them and, and disturbing for them. So they have to learn that actually the dietetics of food have been worked out in Ayurveda. And, you know, of course, being a medical doctor with this strong biomedical background, I used to say, well, why is it that they know that? And how do they know it's true? I mean, someone says that, Watermelon increases your vata. Gosh, I think of watermelon as very, you know, cooling and grounding because it's such a heavy fruit. But actually, if you look at it pound per pound, it's actually not a very heavy fruit. It's a very light fruit. And so I find myself going back again and again to Ayurveda and the way in which it describes people's specific diets according to not just their doshas, but also, you know, all these factors that I'm talking about here. So, yes, diet does play a very big role, and nutrition plays a very big role. And we don't just look at a person's dosha. We look at where they're at right now. So if they have something slightly out of balance, we actually address that imbalance first, knowing that the underlying balance is what we're moving toward. So if you're a heavy-set person, I'm going to give you very different vegetables than if you're a very light-set person. In your travels to India and other parts of the world, do you ever find people choosing Ayurveda instead of the state-of-the-art prescription drugs used in Western medicine? Well, you know, I'll confess for you. I have a practice as an allopathic MD and as director of research at my hospital and the director of our alternative medicine program at our hospital, which is called YCAM, the Wyckoff Center for Alternative Medicine. I find that people don't come to me wanting allopathic medicine because they can get that from their regular doctor anyway. And the regular doctor is going to give them seven minutes and seven prescriptions and two directions and then send them out on their way. What they want from me is the awareness that I have about those prescription medicines and how they will interact with other therapies. And then they want me to sit with them and tailor an approach that's right for them that incorporates their diet, yoga that they could do, maybe some homeopathy, maybe some aromatherapy, but the Ayurvedic approach to foods and herbs and breathwork and postures of yoga and oils that they can be rubbing on their body to ground them or to cool them and that overall approach that Ayurveda uses. So generally, yes, they are coming to me for an Ayurvedic approach. And when people say, well, what do you specialize in? I say I specialize in people, not diseases. Because Ayurveda teaches us to treat people and not just to treat diseases. Since Ayurveda is all about balance, how well is it received in the 24-7 high-tech land of America? Now, this is a really interesting phenomenon. People that come to me for Ayurveda tend to be in three different groups. One is health professionals. And I find that to be very curious because they're doling out one kind of medicine by day and usually that's because that's what their license demands and that's what their hospital or their clinic demands. But then they come to me saying, you know what, I've read the studies. I really want to be using some of this guduchi because the clinical studies show that 
Tinospora cordifolia, which is the botanical name for Guduchi, has been shown to be so good for hay fever and allergic rhinitis. Or I want to use turmeric because it's been shown to prevent Alzheimer's diseases. Or I want to use, you know, X-herb or Y therapy because I've seen it work in my patients. The second type of people I get are very educated mainstream Americans who have gone through the system. They found that modern mainstream medicine, for whatever reasons, didn't work for them. Either it was side effects from the medicines, or it was complete failure, or it was a lack of a solution, or it was just suppressing a symptom and not really treating the cause of the disease, or it was the cost, or it was a frustration with the insurance company. It was usually something to do with the system and the way the system functions, or with the financials. And the financials are so tied in with the philosophy because there is a lot of good stuff in mainstream modern medicine, but it's just not being practiced today. You cannot do a seven-minute visit and practice good medicine the way that we were taught in medical school. And so those people get it. They're educated. So I get CEOs of companies. I get a lot of people in the arts, film producers, musicians, theater artists, and being in New York City, of course, there's many of them. I get people at corporations who have very high-stress jobs, very highly educated, and just don't want to change their lifestyle too much, but want guidance in changing their lifestyle enough that they don't continue to have irritable bowel syndrome or eye disturbances, you know, dry eyes, or weight gain, or stress-related hair loss, or psoriasis and eczema, which is a big one, big skin problem. And so they'll come to me. And then as they, and these are people in their 20s and 30s. And then the older ones, of course, come with the typical American diseases of heart disease, diabetes, thyroid problems, arthritis, weight gain. So that's a second group. And then the third group I get are people from or connected to traditional cultures outside of the mainstream American culture. So these are Native Americans, they are Mexicans, they are Europeans of all different sorts, they are Africans, they are Australians, they are a lot of people from South Asia, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, and Sri Lanka. Um, I have people from China. I have people who know that their traditional cultures use herbs As WHO says, 80% of the world still uses traditional indigenous medicines as their primary care medicine. And so these people were connected to it in their old country. They come to America and they say, no, no, I just just want to use the things that I knew that my grandmother used. Okay, I'll use modern medicine in a fly or for emergency care, but I, I first want to use Ayurveda. And in fact, once they get into it, they actually prefer Ayurveda for emergency care because they know that it's going to give them quick treatment without so many side effects at a lower cost if it's from someone who knows what they're doing. Shall I give you one example? Absolutely. This is an actual patient who came in and he had jammed his finger in a car door and it had hit on a place where he had a hangnail and he just created this huge abscess. It was pus underneath it. It was hard and his finger was swollen and he could see that it was swollen. And he was starting to get a little bit of a fever and he just didn't know what to do. And he went to the emergency room and the line was five hours long and he knew that all they were going to do is they were going to make him wait for five hours and they're going to cut it open. They're going to drain the pus. And then they were going to give him 
some kind of, you know, antibiotic cream and put a Band-Aid on it and give him some antibiotics to take by mouth for five or ten days and then tell him to come back. And he knew the bill was going to be about $3,000 for that. So he called me and said, you know, can I come to you? And I said, no, I think you should go to your allopathic doctor because you believe in allopathic medicine. And, you know, I don't want to see people to convince them. He said, well, I want to try Ayurveda and I'll give it a go. So I brought him in. I sterilized a needle. And actually, as a doctor, I know how to do this in allopathic medicine, but it was so small and so pointed that I sterilized the needle, and I just made a small poke so I didn't give him a big incision, took out the pus, and I applied turmeric. Turmeric is a powder that comes from a rhizome. That the botanical name is curcuma longa. It's the orange-yellow powder that we see in curry powder. Curry powder is actually a compound of about 12 different ingredients put together, but turmeric is the main color component. So I just sprinkled some of that powder onto his finger, and I applied just a little bit of ghee. Ghee is clarified butter. And the reason I did that is I wanted to give it a little bit of an oil base so it would stay on the surface. And I could put a little bit of gauze, which is cotton, and some non-plastic band-aids. You know, you can get these more cottony band-aids so it could breathe. Then I gave him a handmade solution, I guess you would call it a ghee with turmeric, with that same guduchi, which is an anti-inflammatory, with neem, which is an astringent and antibacterial, some rose water, which is a cooling substance, and a couple of other things like this that all sound like kitchen compounds. And I mixed those together and I gave it to him and I said to him, apply this on your finger three times a day. He called me the next morning just said the swelling had gone down almost completely and the redness was almost gone. And he knows that if he had taken the antibiotics, his gut would have been upset because we know that antibiotics kill the gut flora as well as killing anything else, any other bacteria. And so he was really, really pleased. And this demonstrates to me that it is actually very possible to use Ayurveda for emergency care as well as preventive care. Is there any licensing of Ayurveda practitioners in America? At this time, in 2010, there is no licensing for most of the health professions outside of mainstream allopathic medicine, osteopathic medicine, and chiropractic. There are a few other health professions that have minor licenses or certifications, but those three are the big ones. So for Ayurveda, no, there's no licensing. There is a group called NAMA, the National Ayurvedic Medical Association, and there are actually several groups organizing Ayurveda in the United States that are looking at how do we license this profession. Because in India, a BAMS doctor who studies for five and a half years gets a degree of Bachelor of Ayurvedic Medicine and Surgery and is a competent physician licensed to practice in India. So until those people have licenses in this country, they either have to move to one of the eight states that have health freedom laws so that they can practice fairly freely under health freedom, or they generally practice not as practitioners, but rather as educators, giving people in groups counseling and general information and education about Ayurveda the way that I am with you today. Dr. Bhashwati, thank you for taking the time to talk with me about Ayurveda today. You're welcome. Anyone wanting to learn more about Ayurveda should visit the website of the National Ayurvedic Medical Association at www.ayurveda-nama.org. And to learn more about Dr. Bashwati, visit her website at www.drbashwati.com. You've been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. 
I'll be back soon with another edition, but to learn more about our guest today, please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon.